Well, good morning. <laughs> hey, we're going to be giving back to God right now. So if you're visiting with us, don't feel obligated to give. This is part of our worship experience of us, uh, continuing to worship God and, uh, and trusting him. So we are... Um, we're in series called Level Up, and I was thinking about this series, and, and you guys may or may not know this about me. If we're friends, you probably know this, is um, I am a, I'm an introvert, right? It, it makes it kind of strange for my job because I'm around people all the time, but naturally I'm pretty introverted, and uh, there, are, uh, there are very few times where I love being around crowds. So if like we're at a dinner party or kind of mixing and mingling, and I've got to go meet people, especially people I don't know Super difficult, right? It is just like, oh man, I feel so uncomfortable. And, uh, and, and there's only a few times where I really like it. Here is obviously one of those. I love our church. I love the people of our church. And I really um, push myself to get out of my comfort zone because I want to know more people. I want to hear their stories. I want to hear what's going on. Um, but there's been another area that I have recently found myself um, really getting out of my comfort zone in order to talk to people. And so the backstory is, as many of you know, I've been remodeling my house forever it's going to be like a five to seven year project because I'm doing it myself and it's just a mess. And so uh, what I will do is I will go to some of the local neighborhoods and I will find houses that I really like. And like a creeper, I will just take pictures of it, right? You know, like I will roll down my window and I'm like, kink. <laughs> you know, they're like, is that guy taking pictures? Yeah, that's me. And if I really, really like a house and I go, oh, that's a pretty house. I will stop and knock on their door and ask them if I can come in. It's just so, yeah, it is so creepy. My dad came with me the other day and I did it. And he's just like, I am more embarrassed than normal of you right now. And that's saying a lot. And so uh, I found myself, if I am motivated enough, I will, I will push past my comfort zone and I will, uh, I will go and I'll do something kind of bold like that. Even us introverts, we can be bold. And um, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today is what does it look like to be bold in our faith? And the whole series is about just going to that next level. What does it look like to level up in your faith? Some of us, you're not sure who Jesus is, and so the next step for you is let's figure out who Jesus is. Some of you, you just got to show up here every week, and that's your next step in your faith journey. Others, it's getting into rooted, it's serving somewhere, but everybody, no matter where you are in your faith journey, you have that next step. You have that next level that you can go to. And so um, we're going through the book of Acts, and if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it is written by one of the gospel writers, a guy named Luke, and it is recording what happened right after Jesus. He dies, he resurrects, and he ascends into heaven. We get the beginning of the church, and it is recording all the things that are happening at the launch of the church in, in just the first uh, few years of it. And so today we're going to be in Acts 3 and 4, and if you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bibles, and we're going to be kind of jamming through that. we got a lot of ground to cover, and so I'll be uh, kind of jumping in and out of Acts 3 and 4. So let me set the scene. What's happening is Peter and John, both disciples of Jesus, uh, part of his kind of inner circle of three, also helping launch this early church, they're on their way to go pray at the temple. And as they're coming into the temple gates, they see a man sitting on the ground, and he's begging for money. And the reason why he's begging for money is because he's disabled. He, he cannot walk, and he hasn't been able to walk since birth. And so they stop and they look at him. And this is what Peter says. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Let me pause real quick because if you grew up in church or, or you're familiar with the Bible, you may read through this and you're not even going to think twice about the scene that's taking place. But if you're not a church person, maybe you're just like hearing the Bible for the first time, when you hear something like this, you kind of go, 
uh, they did what? Oh, yeah, no, that happens all the time. I'm like, you know, I'm down on 2nd Street, and I'm like, yo, get up and walk, you know? And it says, no, that never happens, right? It's almost, and I just want you to step back and think about those Christians for a second. And, and those of you who are visiting, maybe this is where you're at, is you're thinking, I'm supposed to believe some people who wrote a book a couple thousand years ago that they were able to do some miracles, and I'm supposed to just think, yeah, that probably happened. That, that's a tough pill to swallow, I'm a pretty skeptical person. I got a lot of doubts. I got a lot of questions. And so sometimes I'll pause and I'll go, really? <laughs> like, really did that happen? And I wish I had more time to go into the, the, the possibility of miracles and, and the books that have been written about it and the modern day miracles that are recorded and things like that. But let, let me just say this. If there is a God, miracles are not a big deal. Think about it. If there is a God who created everything from nothing, just by declaring it so, I think him intervening in his creation and, and, and being able to take someone who can't walk and enabling them to walk is probably not that difficult. And so let's assume that there is a God, and you know, Jay Warner Wallace was here a few weeks ago, and there's tons of studies around here that we talk about the existence of God and arguments for it, but let's just assume, okay, there is a God, so miracles can happen. Why do they happen? What is the point of miracles? We see throughout the scriptures that... Um, the purpose of miracles is, well, one, to show who Jesus really is. So Jesus comes along and he's making these big claims about himself, like, I am the Messiah, I'm here to save you, God incarnate. And I have met people who have said this before. And we got them back on their medication because this is usually something that people who are not right are going to say. Truthfully, this, that's just part of the deal. So when Jesus says it, it's not, people have said this before and still say it today. But he actually proves it by being able to do something Miraculous. It's also a pointer. Jesus is pointing to how things were supposed to be in the good creation before man falls and, and everything kind of falls to pieces. And he's also pointing to how things are going to be in the future. And so the, the miraculous is a reminder of who we were supposed to be. But it's also a promise of who we're going to be again one day. See, these miracles take place, and so when Jesus feeds the hungry and he heals the sick, what he's saying is there, this world was supposed to be a place where no one goes hungry and no one is ill, and it will be that way again one day when I come back, when I make all things new. And so really, miracles are not the supernatural, uh, or not supernatural, I think they're the most natural thing, because they're taking a world that has been turned upside down by sin and making the world right again. And so miracles, I really believe, are the most natural thing uh, that can happen. Also, I think it's a model for living. It is in John 14, 12, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Jesus says, I do all these miracles. I'm able to heal people. I'm able to feed the, the poor. And you, Christians, if you get focused, you're going to be able to do even greater things now, does this mean that we're going to be able to do miraculous things? I don't know, but here's what I do know. I do know that if we become uh, singularly focused on taking care of people and, 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 uh, and caring for the world around us, that we will be able to heal a lot more people and feed a lot more people than Jesus ever, ever could. Because he's one person, and he's able to do one miracle. We're millions. We're billions of people. And so when he says that you're going to be able to do even greater things than me, you're going to be able to impact the world in such a way that you're going to be able to heal and feed far more people than I ever could. But I think the main point of, uh, of miracles, and this is going to be kind of where we're going today, is I think it's a way to share the message of Jesus. 
That Jesus came along and he didn't just heal people so that he could alleviate some kind of pain. He used it so that he could really address their, their, the, the, the central issue of their life, which was a spiritual need. And so he says, let me heal you physically and so that I can address your spiritual needs as well. And so Jesus addresses uh, or comes and, and, and takes care of physical so that he can address the spiritual. So let's continue our story. Well, um, everybody in the temple is tripping out. Because they come in, they know this dude, he's been here for a long time. They know that he can't walk, and all of a sudden he's skipping and jumping next to Peter and John, cruising into the temple. There's a big commotion, and here's what I love about Peter. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Peter jumps up and he gives his first sermon. And Peter is a preacher. And so he sees, there's all this attention, everybody's looking at him, and he goes, you know what I should do right now? <laughs> a sermon. Right, let's do this. And he's got one sermon. All right, he's got one sermon, and he's just gonna give it again. And so he jumps in and he starts giving this sermon to all these people who are watching. And here's what he says: The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Okay, Peter, dude, um, love the attitude, love the zeal, but you're just, you're just going after it, man. You're not really sugarcoating anything. And that's kind of what I like about Peter, to be honest, is he just comes along and goes, look, I'm going to give you the good news and the bad news. Here we go. And he shoots you straight. He says, look, here's the bad news. All of us in this room, because they're at the temple, all of us, we're Jews. And so we worship the creator God, the true living God who has promised us a Messiah. Someone's going to redeem us, who's going to save us. The bad news is he came. Not only did you not recognize it, you killed him. That's really bad news. And you got to know how bad the bad news is in order to know how good the good news is. Now, we, we learned a few weeks ago that um, when he says you killed him, what he really means is, we killed him. Like we, humanity, we killed him because it's our lying and our gossip and our cheating and our stealing. That is what put Jesus on the cross. Then he gets to the good news. He says, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. So he's saying, look, I witnessed it. I saw Jesus die. Tons of you guys saw Jesus die. And then we saw him be resurrected. We saw him raised from the dead. We're all witnesses to it. And if you don't believe it, look, here's just a little taste of what can happen. This guy who you know could not walk at the beginning of the day. His entire life has never been able to do this. And today, here he stands. Do you need any more proof than that? He goes on to tell them to repent of their sins, to give their life over to Jesus, because one day Jesus will return and he's going to reward those who follow him and he's going to condemn those who do not. Well, uh, this is how he ends it, or this is how the story ends. It says, uh, many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. As you can imagine, this is a going to create quite a stir in the city because this is 5,000 men, so that doesn't include women and children. And so you've got this massive amount of people going, you know what? We saw it. That was just a couple months ago that Jesus was killed, and now we are giving our life over to him, and we're going to be worshiping him. That's quite a turnaround that's taking place. And the religious leaders hear about this, and they hear about the commotion, and they hear what's going on, and so they end up taking Peter and John and arresting them and throwing them in jail overnight. Next day, uh, Peter and John have to stand in front of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the religious leaders, and they are asked to explain themselves. What's going on? What is the deal here? 
And Peter, <laughs> what does he do? Preach, right? He's like, yes, sermon number three. Same as the second and the first one, but let's go, you know? And he just goes into this whole thing like, and you killed him, and then, you know? And it's like, oh, dude, <laughs> Peter. Um, okay, so he gets into this whole sermon. He's talking about how you killed him, and he's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, raised from the dead, and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this, and this man, he's healing of proof. And I would imagine that... Um, on a regular basis, Peter is pretty comfortable with awkward situations, right? It's like he's getting up and he's proclaiming in front of thousands of people. But this has to be the most tension that you could experience. I don't know if you've ever been out to eat with like another couple or something and, and they began to legit argue in front of you. You know, and it's almost as if you're not there anymore and they're just going at it and you're like, oh, God, this is. And then they turn to you and go, Cody, what do you think about my wife's spending habits? And you go, Later, <laughs> you know, this is, ah, it's just so much, it's so awkward. That's got to be what's happening here. Is Peter is not only saying, and you killed him, and this is proof that he's resurrected. But these guys did not just theologically put him on the cross. It wasn't just their sin, because that is true of all of us. But these guys are the actual guys who put him there. Like physically, they ordered for him to be killed. And so that's got to add just a, a little bit more sting to the whole claim that you killed him. He ends the, his big talk like this. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. i got to be honest. If I were John and I'm hanging out with Peter, I'd be like, Peter, look, um, you keep dropping these bombs all the time. If you keep this up, we're not friends anymore. Right? These guys just killed our leader, and then you're going to go and be like, oh, and it's your fault. You know, dude, you're not a safe person anymore. I think we might need to take a friend break here because you need to, uh, you need to wise up. Let's start talking about love. Let's talk about unity. Let's do something that all of us can agree upon, and then maybe we'll build some momentum here. But here's Peter. He just keeps going after it. And so in the, the, the statement that he makes Salvation is found in no one else, meaning Jesus is the only way to God. It's not just central to the Christian belief, but it is highly controversial to the rest of the world. When he says this, you know, I would have just imagined that everybody in the room just went, oh, dude, this just got real. Because he is pretty much, um, he's pretty much offending everybody with an earshot. Because what he's saying is, and it was controversial then and it is as well now, is he was saying to the Jewish leaders who are standing in front of him, um, your view of God is wrong. So you thought that the Messiah was going to be like this and he was actually like this. You thought that God was like this and he's actually like this. And instead, and not only did you just, you miss who the Messiah is, but you killed him. And then for the Romans, because this is in the Roman Empire, he's offending them because they are uh, religiously pluralistic. They have a pantheon of gods. You pick which god you want to worship when, as long as you worship Caesar and whatever god you want, it's all good. Everybody gets to decide. And Peter stands in front of both audiences and he says, you're wrong and you're wrong. He's telling everybody that their beliefs, which is pretty fundamental to people, that their beliefs in God were all wrong. Now this is not only controversial then, but it is now because we live in a culture very much like this where people expect us to say, at least in a public sphere, that all religions are equally true and valid. 
All paths lead to God. You believe whatever works for you. If it's your truth, it's your truth. And so we are, we are told to, um, we are told to affirm all beliefs as equally true. And then when someone comes along and says, actually, they're not. They're not true. Your view of God is wrong. That feels divisive. That feels intolerant. That feels closed-minded. And I understand why you feel, in fact, it's kind of almost awkward for me to say that because it's just like, oh, wow, there might be visitors and it's weird. Don't do that, you know. I get why we feel like that because it does feel divisive. But I don't think that's how reality or truth works. So let's imagine that my daughter after service came to me and she said, Dad, um, I have been eating Skittles. Oh, amazing, first of all. Second, I figured out how they make them. They get a bucket and they put it under a unicorn that's crying. And it's unicorn tears that flow into the bucket and that's how we get them. And I would say, <laughs> you're creative, child. You're creative. Wrong, but you're creative. Because I'm pretty sure the way that they're made is there's a big corporation with a factory that mass produces them and then sells them to us at a gas station. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's how this works. No unicorns involved. And if her response to me was, well, Dad, it's true for me, so stop being so closed-minded. You would say, well, that's not how this works. You know, just because you believe it strongly doesn't mean that it's true. The same is true of every arena of our life. It doesn't matter how strongly we believe something. That doesn't make it true. What makes it true is it corresponds with reality. And I think it's our obligation to, continue, to, to pursue true beliefs, to try to find out what God, what reality, what the universe. I think that our job is to try to figure out what is true about the world and then align our lives with it. And there's no bigger stakes than what you believe in, when you, when you believe in about God. It's because eventually... Your beliefs and reality will end up colliding. <laughs> if your beliefs don't align with what is really true, there will be consequences of some sort. And so we need to continue to pursue what is true. It logically just doesn't work either. Is all religions in the world, they could be wrong. We could be totally wrong about God, every single religion in the world. But they can't all be true because they contradict each other. If you've just taken like a 101 uh, religion class, you would know that they pretty much state the opposite of one another. One religion will say there's 330 million gods. Another one says there's no God. There's an impersonal God. There's a Trinitarian God, and Jesus is God. And the other one says if you claim Jesus is God, then you're blaspheming. And then they all collide. They don't, there's no way to reconcile all of them. They all contradict. And so we have to, I think, come to an agreement that um, they can't all be true. That they all could be false, but they can't all be true. And everyone, uh, everybody's making a truth claim. It doesn't matter what your position is. doesn't matter if you're an atheist. doesn't matter if you're a pantheist. doesn't matter if you're agnostic. doesn't matter. Everybody is claiming some kind of truth about reality and about God. And by its very nature, it's going to exclude all the other views that are not that one. And so if you say something like, well, you know, all paths lead to God. What you're telling Christians and Muslims and Jews is your view is wrong. Or if you say, well, no one has the absolute truth about God. I would say, well, do you believe that's the truth? Because if you believe that's the truth, then you have the absolute truth about God. And that's the very thing that you said nobody has. And so, uh-oh, now we're in, a, we're, we're in this circle. And, oh, I, I'm confused. Everybody's making a, a claim about reality. Everybody says, this is what is true about the world and about God. And it excludes all the others. So he continues on. He says, 
It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. I think this is great insight into what the human heart uh, and the condition of the human heart is really like. As these guys are standing there, they have seen something miraculous happen. And the response is not, wow, I wonder if Jesus really is who he claimed to be. I wonder if this could be true. The response is, ah, he's got us in a corner. How do we get out of this? Because the human heart will do anything it can in order to uh, get away from God, from submitting to God. We want to be autonomous. We don't want to. We want to be the Lord over our own lives. And so we're going to figure out a way around this thing. I think that's great insight into our human condition is we very much want to run away from God and having to submit uh, to him. So there's not much that the leaders can do. Uh, the guy is miraculously healed. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. They're going to have a riot on their hands if they try to do anything. So they are going to let him go. But before they do, they say, when you get out there, stop this whole Jesus talk. You're creating trouble for us. Let's just cut it out. Keep it to yourself. Keep it public. Don't bring it in the, or keep it private. Don't bring it in the public sphere. Sounds familiar? Here's their response. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're crazy. You think that we're going to listen to you or to God? Who should we be more afraid of, the kitten or the lion? All right. We're going out there. We're going to say it. We're going to tell everybody that will listen. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed, and I love this next part, was over 40 years old. <laughs> I love it. I love that little detail. Just kind of like, just poking at you guys. You guys. <laughs> you. <laughs> right? He's like, oh man, it's crazy. He was born. He couldn't walk. Now he can walk. And it's even bigger. He's over 40. That's old. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's good. I, can you imagine if they were like 60? That <laughs> would be. Okay. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so Peter and John, they're released. They go back to the group of believers, and they begin to pray, which seems like a pretty reasonable response. I think if you and I were thrown into jail, we were released, we would begin to pray as well. But here's what I want you to think about. What would be the first thing that you would pray about? I know what I would pray about, and I'm pretty sure I know what you would pray about, because it's a thing that we pray about all the time, ourselves. <laughs> Start praying, Lord, protect me, keep me safe, keep these crazies away from me, uh, me, 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 me. It's because that's the thing that we always pray about. Lord, watch over me, my family, what affects my life. I heard a question this week, and it really bothered me. It's from another pastor, and he said, if God had answered all of your prayers last year, would the world be any different? So in the last 12 months, all your prayers, God goes, I'm going to grant all of those prayers. What would happen to the world? Oh, I mean, my world would be different for sure. My family would be affected. Maybe some of my friends, but would the world be any different? Oh, probably not. Well, that's probably a good indication of what we pray about. It's about us. So here's towards the end of the prayer, he says, Towards the end of the prayer, they say this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Boldness? I think you're good, Peter. 
I think you're bold. That whole you murdered him thing, getting him thrown into jail. I think as far as boldness goes, you may need to turn it down a little bit. You're plenty bold. And yet he says, no, no, no. I want to be even more bold. I don't know if bold has made it into your prayers, but it's not in mine. We're not bold people, especially here in the West. If you were to look at our lives, I don't think we would be described as bold. I think we'd be more like safe and cautious and agreeable. Because like I, I have car insurance, I have home insurance, and maybe you have pet insurance. And I don't want to say anything that upsets my friends. And if my kids are going to run up the stairs, they got to wear a helmet. And they're just, I'm just safe, right? Everybody's safe. Everybody's got to be safe at all times. Let's, let's make sure we're okay. I think that we would be described as um, cautious, mild, maybe even a little bit afraid, but definitely not bold. And here's how the prayer ends. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. He's saying, God, will you just, will you use me? Will you enable me to do something that I couldn't do on my own? Would you allow me to be bold in front of my friends, my family, my coworkers? Would you allow me to be a part of the movement, the mission that you have here on earth? I think if we began to pray this, I don't know if God would do something miraculous or not, but here's what I do know what would happen. Is you and I would become much more aware of opportunities to be bold. Because we will see what we're looking for. Kind of like when you get a new car or a car that's new to you. And then that week, all of a sudden, you see the same color car everywhere. And you think, did everyone buy this car this week? Because you see what you're looking for. And so I do know that if you make a conscious effort to continue to pray and be aware of opportunities for boldness, you will begin to see them. Here's the result in 431. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. See, that would be way easier to be bold if I could just see something miraculous, something tangible happening in my life. Where I prayed and then fire rained down from heaven, I would go, I'm ready to be bold. But I don't see that and you probably don't either. Why? Why does that happen for us? Well, let's look at where they're at and let's look at where we're at. Peter and John and the rest of believers are about to face certain death, and many of them will die for this. We are sitting in an air-conditioned room in comfortable chairs. I don't know if we're out on the edge where we need God to do something miraculous yet. I kind of imagine God might be going, I don't know, get up and do something and then I'll show up. You know, like, oh, you're going to be uncomfortable. You don't need something miraculous. Go, do something. It's only when you're out on the edge of faith that I think God's going to finally show up. Because that's when you got to rely on him. Until then, you, go, you and I, we got work to do. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they pray for boldness. God shows up in a pretty powerful way. And then two things happen. The first one is this, and it seems like, okay, this is pretty obvious, is that they, are, they, they have more confidence when they're going to share the message of Jesus. They go out and they proclaim it boldly, even when their families and themselves are in jeopardy and many of them uh, are killed. But the second thing is kind of interesting to me. It says they became even more generous with their money. They prayed for boldness and they were confident in the message and then they gave more of their stuff away. In this passage, it says that they gave 100% of their money and possessions to the church so that everyone would, would uh, be able to have, uh, would have no needs. Could you imagine? I would be, I would be like, okay, we're doing offering today, and you guys started just dropping, like, car keys in the buckets, like, boom. You know, and then somebody down the road is like, thank you, Mercedes. You know, like, that would be crazy. That's, like, almost, like, unimaginable for us. 
See, the scripture says generosity, uh, kind of the, the, the beginning steps of generosity, it lays it out for us. It says 10%. Do 10%. It's called a tithe. Good pattern. Good place to start. Start giving 10% of your income back to God. It's his anyway. You're just showing that you trust him. That's the beginning of generosity. These guys are at 100. You and I are at hopefully 10. And so he says, if you want to be a bold believer, you've got to give this message and give your money away. Freely. Liberally. Just let it go. I think the reason you and I um, are not generous is because we're afraid. We're afraid that maybe God won't provide for us, that something in the future is going to happen, that maybe we'll lose a piece of our identity if we don't have all of that, that wealth. And the more that we come to know Jesus and the more that we understand that he loves us and he cares for us and he will provide for us, I think the more free we become and the more bold we become with the message and with our money. So it ends like this is, we know that uh, from church history, this incredible boldness and generosity ends up changing the world. It begins with just a, a handful of believers, and it quickly grows into thousands of people. And just within a few hundred years, it takes over the Roman Empire. And today we see it has spread to all ends of the earth. It is what has uh, made this nation incredible because of its beliefs and principles in, in Jesus. And we see that it's because of their boldness, their generosity, that they were able to turn the world upside down. I don't think that anyone will disagree that, that that's not us. We've lost this. That if history were going to look back on 2018 in the Western church here in America, I don't think boldness and generosity is going to be how they describe us. I think that we, we lost something along the way, and maybe the reason why we've lost it is because God has been so good to us that we're comfortable. We've been so blessed that we think that you know what, I'm just going to write it out from here on out and I'm going to be good. I don't think we should feel guilty about being blessed. I think God has given it to us, but what we should feel is responsible for being blessed. And if we're not being responsible with our blessings, then maybe you can feel guilty. But God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to other people. It was never for ourselves. It was never intended to be consumed by us. It was always supposed to be about other people. We've been blessed to be a blessing. I think ironically, if we were to look at the history of the church, we live in a time and place where we have the least to fear and yet we are the most afraid. If we were to look at the history of the church, we have the most disposable income. We have the, the most amount of resources and yet we may end up being the least effective. And it's because I think we've lost this idea of being bold. We've settled for being comfortable and safe. And I think it's time for us to, to level up a bit is to stop being so comfortable, stop being so safe, start living out on the edge of faith. You want to see God show up in your world, then get out someplace where he has to show up. Step out there in a place in which I can't do this on my own. God, you're going to have to show up. When I tell this person who wants nothing to do with you about you, you're going to have to show up because I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not smooth enough. I can't convince them. You've got to show up. Lord, I got money issues. It's in my heart. I know it. I have a real tough time letting go. And so I'm going to let go and I'm just going to pray that you're going to provide because I don't know how this is going to work unless you do. You want to see God move, you've got to move first. You've got to be out there on the edge. You have to be bold. I see so many of us, we do this thing where we're going to do Christianity like 
like this, right? Like, oh, that's, oh, the water's nice in there. Oh, that's good. Jump in, dude. Jump in or don't mess with it at all. Either go for the swim or get out. There's no way. that Halfway Christianity has got to be the worst way to do Christianity. It's the worst because you feel guilty, but you get no rewards along the way. You know, that's, that's horrible. Either get in or get out. And so here's the deal. I'm going to end with this. Is I was trying to think, how do we walk away from this and we remember this? Because, look, I preach a bunch of sermons. You hear even more. We forget most of them, uh, and that's the end of the day. But I want us to remember at least just this part that we need to be bold. We need to be looking for opportunities to be bold so that we can take them. And so I thought, oh, how are we going to remember this? Well, here's, if you're like me, here's what I do is I look at my phone 1,000 times a day for no reason. There's nothing that's changed about it. But I'm constantly, oh, oh yeah, it's still there. Okay, yeah, oh, yeah. So I thought, all right, let's just try this. We made a graphic. It says, be bold, and it has the verse on there. And we're just going to give it to you guys. If you'll text this number, one word, be bold, to that number. You go on our Instagram or Facebook. You can screenshot it if you know how to do that. I'll get you yours. Um, <laughs> put it as your wallpaper, and you can just be reminded, oh, that's right. I got, okay, be bold. Oh, that's right, be bold today. Okay, that's right, be bold today. And I think that... If we are intentional about being bold, about freely giving away this message and our money, at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we're going to get to look back and go, you know what? That was so much better than anything I could have accomplished on my own. I was able to do something pretty significant with my life, and it's because I signed up to be a part of what God was doing. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the challenge that you have given us in the scriptures. It comforts us, but it also pushes us outside of our comfort zone. Lord, God, we feel safe because we know that you are your, we know that we are yours, and yet we also are a little bit timid, a little bit scared because you are asking us to step out and be bold. And so, Lord God, my prayer is that this church, that we would be people who are remembered for our bold faith, that we were generously giving of our stuff and of this message and that you would use us in some pretty powerful ways, things that we could never accomplish on our own that you would do through us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.